Generations. And the vision for Victory for Generations sounds a whole lot like uh, the mission of the church. It's, uh, it's connecting today's generations and tomorrow's generations with this life-changing relationship with Jesus. And um, we are preparing a place. Uh, the capital campaign is to build a larger facility onto the facility that we have and uh, so that the generations that we have here, and aren't you glad that we've got every generation represented? Amen? And that the generations that are going to come behind us will have a place to, to meet with Jesus. And the story for us is in January of 2017, um, the whole church um, began this process of let's, let's plan out the entire property as we go to the county to ask permission to build a building. Let's have the whole uh, project in mind for future generations to come. It was a fun process developing that uh, master plan where we were all together uh, with input and it created a plan where we have a facility in mind that we can scale in later years um, and it will look like it was all actually a plan, right? And in October of 2017, after creating that plan, the Board of Supervisors in Goochland approved it, which was a great joy for us because sometimes those processes can be quite arduous and difficult, and yet our county just gave us great um, favor. We even had a Board of Supervisor person just kind of stand up and say all the great things that Victory does for the community and that, you know, they recommended that it be unanimously approved, and it was. And what's beautiful about it is a lot of times when those plans are approved, they have a time stamp, like, well, whatever you can build in X number of years, but our plan uh, doesn't have a time stamp on it. And it allows us to build, allows generations after us to build. And we're just really, really thankful for that. So then in 2018, we began the process of, okay, the first phase of the building, the planning for all of that. And uh, we launched the Victory for Generations capital campaign in April of last year. So we, and we did a lot of work ahead of time. And the goal was let's raise $450,000 over three years for our uh, project that we estimate that will be about $1.65 million. And uh, we'll take these next three years. And um, people just, you know, prayed and made thoughtful, heartfelt um, commitments, not condemnation-driven commitments, but inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what God has put on my heart uh, for my part in, in, in the uh, process. And so along the way, I've got some things that I'll, I'll put up, leave up for you at the end of service so that you can look at them. But I want to show you some of these cool things that have developed. Most of you have seen this, which is, that's the master plan, which you can look at. And it's the plan for the, you all know we have 10 acres of property here. Isn't that a blessing? And this dark purple building would be the first phase, and the parking lot on the left-hand side would be the first phase. But that's kind of the, the thumbnail sketch of 30 years of development of the property. And it allows us to start with a 200-seat auditorium, and then you can scale it to a 500-seat auditorium and classrooms and things like that. And then I'm going to, again, put this up for you. This is the, the current schematic design, which shows the first phase of that building and our current building, and you all know that this auditorium will actually become children's church. Instead of sending them to the schoolhouse, they'll be in here. And they'll have stage and worship and all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine 
what an awesome experience that will be for those young people. And it has classrooms and a big old playground in the back uh, as well. And so we're really excited. Again, I'll put that up here in the front for you to look at. And then I have another picture for the real geeks in the room. And you don't have to self-identify. It's okay. But this is um, a site plan created by a civil engineer which shows things like water runoffs and where it gets captured and parking lot and all that kind of stuff. And for you who like just lots of lines and complicatedness on a, uh, on a thing, this is just for you to stare at. You can take pictures of it with your iPhone and be weird and put it on Facebook. That would be really weird. I don't recommend it. I don't know if people will like it or if they'll cry for you with a little tear on Facebook if you put that up there. But those are – it's neat to see – you know, those plans been coming forward as the architect and as a civil engineer and those folks work on it. And we're continuing to move forward with things like uh, designs for the drawing of the actual building, the, the more uh, detailed designs. And um, as far as the when we will build, it's, that's really a God component for us because we're being faithful to give and to bring our money together. And then there's really the God piece. We'd love to be in a place where after the three years, we're in a place where we can break ground and build the building. Um, but there's the God component that we'll wait upon. Um, as far as progress goes, you know that our goal was 450000 over three years. We were really excited last year when we, got to, we came to a place where we had commitments for 315000 over three years. And it's not 450000 but we felt really good about, like, the gifts and the commitments that were made were very heartfelt. They were faith gifts. They weren't um, uh, you're being forced to give kind of thing. And a lot of people giving very sacrificially, right? And so we really rejoiced in that. Um, what's cool is, and we put it in the bulletin every week, um, we're at our one-year anniversary, and of that $315,000 commitment, $107,000 has come in in a year. Isn't that awesome? I think that's just an amazing thing and something that we can, you know, really rejoice in. And today, as we're in our one-year anniversary of that, um, what we're going to do is we're just going to do a couple things. We're going to reaffirm commitments um, by filling out a commitment card today at the end of the service. Um, and there's a practical reason for that. The practical reason has to do with when we go to get financing later, it's really great for the banks to see, okay, people made these commitments, here's what came in, here's where we reaffirmed and continued our commitment levels and all of that. The fact that we're tracking all of that, the fact that we're doing what we're saying we're doing is really helpful from a real practical standpoint. Um, And today is an opportunity where if you have already made a commitment, um, you can... You can change your commitment. You can increase it. You can decrease it. Life change, that kind of thing. Uh, we, we just want to know what's in your heart. Um, if there's no change to your commitment at all, you can fill out a, a card and say no changes and, and hand it in. We're going to all hand in cards um, you know, if, if we feel led to do so, also because we're reaffirming our commitment to the vision and just saying, God, thank you for a good first year. Thank you for what's ahead of us. And uh, if you're here today and you've never, you haven't made a commitment, maybe you've come to victory over this last year, we want you to feel like you can jump in and be a part and be an owner, but we also, or not. Raylan said it for me. (laughs) She said, I'm out. I'm out. 
And that's okay, Raylan. It's okay. She's adorable. She's adorable. Um, but we also don't want people to feel a pressure. We want you, if you want to make a commitment to the capital campaign, we want it to be something that it is in your heart that God has inspired you to do and that you feel inspired to do. Sacrifice is okay, but condemnation is not. Okay? And, um, and we'll do that at the end of the service. Um, and we'll, we'll bring all of those together. Um, I want to take a moment, I want to pray, and now I want to jump into the message for today. Does that sound good? If you have questions at the end of the service, get me, get somebody on the capital campaign team, ask away. Uh, we're an open book, and uh, at the end of service, you can you know, take a look at plans and all that kind of stuff. Aren't you thankful for where we are? And I'm excited about what's to come. And meanwhile, we're just going to stay focused on the mission, which is connecting people to that life-changing relationship with Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray, and we'll hop into the message for today. Father, we thank you for this past year, and we thank you for all that you've done in us. We thank you for who you are. And right now, Lord God, we just commit this past year to you, to you where we're headed to you, and we honor you. And Lord, as we open up our hearts and our minds to just hear your message today from your word, would you just allow our hearts to be ready? We each want to hear from you. We thank you for your ability to speak to us. And I pray for the empowerment and the leading of your Holy Spirit to share your word. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Amen. Today is going to be a, a unique message in our Encountering Jesus series. And Encountering Jesus, this series is all about looking at people in the New Testament who encountered Jesus and what that encounter was like. Like what, what did they experience when they met Jesus and encountered him so that we can learn from them what was revealed to them. And I'm going to read to you a couple of scriptures and then we're going to um, put them together this morning. The first one is in Mark chapter 5. It was a story of a woman who had an illness. It was an issue of blood. She, she wouldn't stop bleeding. And she had gone to a bunch of doctors seeking help. And she just could not, after years, be healed of this issue of blood. And this is what it says in Mark 5, verses 25 through 34. It says, And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she'd heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, against you, Jesus, the disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling in fear, told him the whole truth. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed. From your suffering. Now, normally we would develop that scripture for a few moments, but I want to jump to another story in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. This is the story of four friends who brought their paralytic friend to Jesus because he was not able to walk. 
It says, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came, uh, came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. You know, in, in both of these stories, we find um, individuals who need physical healing. And in both of these stories, uh, there's a significant amount of effort to get to Jesus. This woman who was ill and, 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 and had been suffering for years, can you imagine her just pressing through a crowd of people to touch Jesus, just thinking, I've tried everything, I've done everything. If I can just touch Jesus, maybe I will be healed. And she does, and she instantaneously senses the power of God in her life. In as well. What an amazing moment. I love the, the comedy of it, how the scripture points out that, you know, there's a crowd of people bumping up against Jesus, and he's like, Who touched me? And the disciples are like, uh, Jesus? Maybe you need a little rest. You know, there's a lot of people bumping up against you, Savior, King, like, but he's like, No, no, somebody touched me. Like, I, I felt power go out from my life. In the second story, you find these friends. Who bring the paralytic. What's neat about this story is they're determined to get their friend to Jesus. And they, he's in a crowded house. They go up on top. They take the effort of tearing open the roof, which was easier to do then than it would be today. And they're lowering their friend. And in this story, the paralytic is really important, obviously, to the story. But there's a real focus on the friends who brought him. Even when Jesus says, he saw their faith. It makes you wonder, was it the faith of the paralytic alone? Or was it just the friends? Their faith. Did he saw their faith and their commitment to get this man to Jesus. There's this, this principle about if you can get somebody to Jesus. And I don't mean in proximity to Jesus. I mean get them to Jesus where they're in a place where they say, Jesus, I need to receive what you have for me. You get them there in that place. Amazing things happen. In one story, you've got an individual who's pursuing and pushing and pressing, literally. And then in another story, you have people who are tearing open roofs and doing whatever they can because they're going to get their friend to Jesus. This past week, um, if you saw in my email, um, we lost a dear member of the church. His name is Ellis Harris. Ellis was 87 years old. And in a way of honoring him, I'd like to tell his story as I'm telling the Bible story and have permission to do that this morning. Um, Ellis, we met him t over 10 years ago. He showed up at the food pantry one day, and we were doing our normal things. And Ellis had gotten a ride from his neighbor to get to the food pantry. And after a few weeks, maybe a couple months of coming to the food pantry, um, it was very evident that Ellis was very alone. He had worked at Tyson's uh, and retired from there, and then he worked in short pump at the, the McDonald's there at Gaskins and Broad and was the guy who'd walk around cleaning the place up. 
But then he left that and he got to a place where he needed to be at home and he lived a really, really lonely life. He had his neighbors around him, but he really didn't get out much, except he did get out once a month because there was a person in his life who would show up every month when he got a social security check. And they would very generously, I hope you hear my sarcasm, take them to take Ellis down to Walmart and then basically take the rest of his paycheck. It was a really unethical thing. Unfortunately, um, some of us were willing to go to jail to resolve it. Um, we considered just starting our jail ministry and things like that, but we thought it might not be the most Christian thing to do. But some of us were willing to take the risk. Um, and we were very offended. We really wanted to change this for Ellis, but he honestly wouldn't allow anyone to do anything. And so we were in this, in this spot. But Ellis, after a couple months of hanging out with us at the food pantry, he asked me one day, and I'm embarrassed that he even had to ask. He looks at me and goes, Pastor Mike, do you think I could get a ride to church on Sunday? I'm like, yeah, we can get you a ride to church on Sunday. And so we started getting rides. It was Mike Harris and, and Bruce. They would, you know, take turns riding over there and bringing him. And I'm telling you, Ellis would light up the room. Um, because he might have been a lonely man, but he had stored up a lot of conversation in him. Over that time, it wasn't because he was an introvert that he was alone. And Ellis would talk to you and talk to you and talk to you. And then you felt like he was holding your shirt and talk to you and talk to you. You know, it was a half hour process just to drop him off at his house. But it was lovely. And we loved it because God had provided for Ellis a, a place of friendship. And um, Ellis had a, a real faith in Jesus. And he had a lot of health problems. Um, he was, you know, he was old and uh, he was struggling with health problems. And I began taking him to, to doctors and, and visits and things like that. And I remember one doctor looking at him and saying, uh, you have almost no vitamin D in your body. And they gave him like these horse pills of just thousands and thousands and thousands of milligrams of vitamin D because he hadn't been outside. And uh, raising up his, his vitamin D and I was running around taking him and then there's a family in the church, um, Steve and Kelly and Jack, um, made a connection with, with Ellis. And uh, they began to take over the process of getting him to his health care uh, appointments and all of that kind of thing. And it was really a beautiful thing because Steve, Kelly, and Jack really had each other in life. And they were a family, if you were. And, um, and Ellis became like a father in the family. It was like they were taking care of their dad. They would run them to the store and they would take them to the hospital and they would and when Ellis had big events, they were always there and Ellis the last few years has spent his time in a nursing home and they made sure that every year he had a birthday party and we often would make our fellowship meals an Ellis birthday party and uh it just became a family affair. And um it was beautiful to watch because it's that scripture that says God puts the lonely into families. It's like watching that happen. And it, it started, well, before I go there, I'll say this. What's neat is that relationship developed to the point in which they were able to free him from that relationship that was exploiting him. 
And they were able to get his affairs in order. Because if you go back earlier in Ellis's story, he had lived in Richmond and he had married a lady there and he was trying to get her out of the city. And he built his house out here on Three Chop Road. And uh, it wasn't much and, and you know, the, the plumbing in that place and he was not much and he would not allow us to put air conditioning in it or anything like that. But after moving into the house, not long after that, his wife died back in like 1974. And his mama bought a plot for her to be buried and bought a plot for Ellis to be buried. And his dream was just someday I will be buried with my wife. And here we are, 2019, and he's lived without without this love of his life. And um, because the Lord helped Ellis get free of that exploitive relationship, his affairs are in order and his dream is going to come to pass. And he will be buried with her. It's also beautiful as uh, uh, Steve and Kelly were working to get Ellis home. He's been in the nursing home for years. They were working to get him home and working to get him home. And they were preparing the house and having Mike Harris and Maisie Codrington do a bunch of work getting ready. And um, he, uh, he passed away right before getting to move home. But I think he really did get to go home. What a beautiful picture of really getting to go home. And it says in John that Jesus goes to make a place for us. And so there's a place waiting for, um, for Ellis, and I'm confident it has better indoor plumbing than what he had. You know, Ellis, he needed some help, and he needed somebody to carry him, quite literally. It was first a ride to the food pantry, then a ride to church, then a ride to the doctor's. He needed somebody to carry him, and God provided people like us to literally carry Ellis to Jesus. And I think there's a time where in our lives, or there's, a, there's always this call of recognizing, is there people that I'm in contact with that the Lord wants me to carry to Jesus. Now, I'm sharing Ellis, who literally needs a physical caring, but you may have a friend or you may have a neighbor, you have people in their lives, that what the problems they're facing and the challenges that they're looking at, really only God can solve. Dr. Phil's not going to fix it. It's going to be Jesus who fix it, fixes it. And they need somebody to say, hey, will you come and meet Jesus with me? Because he actually has the answers for your life, he has the provision for your life, and he has a future for your life. What I love is uh, juxtaposing this story of the paralytic with the friends, and then this woman with the issue of blood. Because when I look at the woman with the issue of blood, what I see is I see people like you and I that, you know, we have needs in our lives that Jesus needs to fulfill and he needs to touch. And I think God wants us to have a heart and a desire that says, you know what? I'm not just going to be in the crowd with Jesus. I'm going to press through and receive from Jesus. Because there is a difference between being in proximity and encountering Jesus. Proximity says, I like what you're saying and I like what you're doing. But when it comes to transforming and changing the way that I think and, and, and that uh, I want to I just put a little bit of a barrier because I'm afraid of what you may ask. I'm afraid of what you may do. But the one who presses through and who goes to Jesus says, you know what, my need is too great for me to think about what I might lose in following you and touching the hem of your garment and receiving from you because who I need and what I need is you, Jesus.
I don't think it precludes us from taking each other to Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I think there's something about that picture that's important for us. If you know the Lord, you've experienced the Lord, there's something right about just saying, God, I pursue you. I'm coming to you, and you have what I need, and I will seek you. And I think there are times when we need to carry each other, and it's completely appropriate and right. And I, I want to encourage you, as we get close this week, and we're, we're in, in the week leading up to Easter, I just want to encourage you with your own relationship with Jesus to just draw him close. Wherever you are in your walk with him, draw him closer. In your devotions this week, open up the scripture and read the ends of the of the Gospels where Jesus is going to the cross and giving his life for you. Spend time praying and, and just talking to the Lord about your appreciation for what he has done. And, and if there are changes to make in your own life, maybe you need to make a deeper commitment to Jesus, then just make it. Just go for it. Just say, Jesus, I, I want all that you have for me in my life. But I love the picture of there are people who are around Jesus, but then there are those who touch Jesus. There's something in our own hearts that just says, God, I need you. And I'm willing, I will push through the crowd, I will do what I need to do to encounter you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And we're going to close this, after, this morning, still morning. Um, it'll be afternoon next time. We're going to close today uh, with worship. And I, I want to give you an opportunity while we're worshiping to just reach out to Jesus and say, God, I need this in my life, and I'm willing to pursue you and touch you for that thing. And while we're worshiping, um, if you'll take a moment, and whether you're just reaffirming a commitment, changing a commitment, making a new commitment, would you fill that out? And what we'll do is, um, at the close of the song, I'll just have folks just, you can bring your cards up to the front. We're going to pray. And then if you need prayer today, we'll pray for you as well. Amen? Let's stand today. Yeah. It was my tomb.
Jesus. God, we thank you for this day and we thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you. We thank you, Lord, that we can pursue you. And Lord, that there is an interaction with you that is very powerful and very real. And that the relationship that we have with you is so real. We honor you in this place today. We give you glory and we celebrate the victory that you brought over death, over the grave, over sin. And we honor you and lift you up in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can bring your cards and put them up here. If you want some prayer today, slip up here in the front and we'll pray for you today. And we'll have these posters up here. You can look at those as well. Bless you today.